invite you to turn in God's Word this morning to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37, we were introduced to Joseph the last time we were in Genesis. We saw that his brothers hated him because he was loved more by his father than they were, and that builds in this narrative, and that's why I think this song that we just sang is so appropriate. What, how important it is for us to dwell in in, in unity and blessed accord, it's so easy to become envious. It's so easy for us to, to want what others have or to look at others and say, boy, I wish I had that or I wish I um, had that uh, ability, that gift or, or that possession or uh, some such comment. And, and we're going to see this morning just how, how that, can, um, that can occur. It's not going to be the, the main focus of our time this morning, but I do want to draw your attention to that because it is something that we must be aware of in our own lives, how envy can lead uh, to hatred and even uh, to murderous thoughts. Well, we want to look uh, at Genesis 37, starting in verse 5 and going through verse 24. Pay attention to the reading of God's own holy word. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. As in verse 4, they had already hated him, could not speak peacefully to him. Verse 6, he said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us, or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and... Your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem, and Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here I am. So he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the fields, and the man asked him, What are you seeking? I'm seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, They've gone away, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. And we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him. He said this, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father, So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the special robe that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. So far, the reading of God's own holy word. 
may add his blessing to the reading and proclamation of it this morning. Dear people of God, I want to look with you this morning at how this passage illustrates the offense of God's revelation. We're going to work our way there, but I want want us to consider this idea of dreams first. The first issue is that of dreams. Our passage opens with this important piece of information because it really sets up the whole story of Joseph's life. It's these dreams that drive his brothers uh, further into their hatred of him and, and they're selling him into to slavery. As we know from Joseph's story, as we're going to be seeing in the weeks ahead. And children, what do you make of dreams? They can be pretty scary. Are they what, do we, what, what should we make of them? Well, in the case of Joseph, these dreams were revelatory. They were revealing something about the future. Joseph learned in these dreams what God was going to do. Now, dreams were not a common way by which God foretold the future, but there were instances where he spoke through dreams. These dreams pointed forward to what would come to pass after he was sold into slavery into Egypt Later, you remember his brothers had to come there and look for uh, food because there was a great famine where they were living with their father, Jacob. When they came before Joseph, we read in Genesis 42, verse 9, that Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them, and he saw that the Lord is working out in his life what had been shown to him in those dreams years before. Remember, as we come back to this Situation. Remember that the family would be familiar with dreams. Jacob, his own father, had experienced dreams. He ought not to have been surprised um, that there may have been something to these dreams. Indeed, it says he, he kept these in mind. Verse 11 says, Jacob kept this saying in mind. But it must be noted that early on in Israel's history, now I want to move us ahead a little bit. Early on in Israel's history, God promised that he would send prophets to speak the word clearly, that he would send a prophet like Moses, that they would understand clearly what was God's word for them. From this promise, we have the word of God. We're not left without direction from God. We were to live upon his word. We ought to be careful about saying things like, well, the Lord said to me, and then uh, go ahead and do what we're going to do, particularly when it's in conflict with God's revealed word. You hear someone say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go do this. I know it's not, I, I, they're saying to themselves, I know it's maybe not in line with this passage or that particular passage, but God spoke to me. Well, they warned in the Old Testament Moses warned in the Old Testament that false prophets were identified by uh, leading people away from the truth. That's how we identify when they spoke things that were out of keeping with God's revealed word. So we have to be very careful when someone says, well, the Lord spoke to me and said we should go in this direction, especially when it's going to turn us away from what God teaches clearly in his word. But Joseph's dreams we're pointing to the future. They're speaking truth about the future. And yet the brothers are angered by the dreams. They say, are you going to reign over us? Really? Are you going to rule over us? And his father, when he heard the dreams, said, are, you, are we going to bow down to you? 
Now, the brothers had already hated Joseph, and verses 5 and 8 said they were, now they hated him even more. Verse 11 says they were jealous of him. They saw something in him that was different from them, and, and, and the way he carried himself, the way he lived his life, there was, there was nothing uh, that they could point to that, that they could find fault with. And further, he was loved more by his father than his father had loved the brothers. Envy, jealousy can lead to great sin. And again, before we get further on in the sermon, I want us to think about that. Envy and jealousy can lead to great sin. Here, they're conspiring. They get to the point where they hate him so much, they're going to conspire to murder, to kill him. That made me think back to a, a smaller uh, example of this, but maybe some of you remember that a number of years ago, probably decades ago now, there were two Olympic skaters, two gals, and they were both vying for an, a position on the Olympic team, and one of them was uh, perhaps more favored in the media, and so the one less favored had uh, several men attack her so that she was injured so she could not compete or the Olympics. It's just a, it was just amazing that we would see this on display in such a public way. And yet that is what envy can do. It can lead us to, to sin. Now we can think of a biblical example, uh, a more intense example, and that of Cain and Abel. What does Cain do when he sees that Abel's sacrifice is received with favor and his is not? He conspires to kill his brother and he does just that. The scriptures warn us that we are not to be like Cain. 1 John 3.12 says that, but we are to love one another. We'll see that at the end of this morning's sermon as we come back to, to that teaching. But it was Cain's envy that led him to murder his brother. Now Joseph's brother's anger and envy had led them to plot to kill him as we read there in verses 18 to 20. One wonders, did Joseph know what this uh, revelation of dreams would, would do, what the response would be? It's not altogether clear that he did. Perhaps that was part of, uh, of this. He was just naive to what this would, would do. We don't know. But uh, I want us to think about the fact that Joseph, what Joseph did speak was revelatory. It spoke of the future, and therefore, for him to speak of it was preparing the brothers for what was to come. And that's where I want to tie this in this morning with, with, with Revelation. When God speaks to us in his word, we are to share that. We are to tell others about that, the revealed truth about the future, no matter what the response might be, some, some want to share only bits and pieces and they give a false gospel and false hope. The whole counsel of God is what we must proclaim, even when it offends. The gospel is offensive for it says that we're guilty, that we need a Savior. And those who are not filled with the Holy Spirit, those who are unregenerate, don't like to hear this. But we all need to hear that fact. We need to hear that Christ must come to deliver us, just as Joseph's brothers were being prepared for the fact that they would need deliverance at, at one time, and, and Joseph would be that one to deliver, and they didn't want to hear anything about it. So, too, we proclaim a greater that Joseph, even the Lord Jesus Christ, who must deliver us from certain death. We need Christ to deliver us. 
He does reign over us even now, though we do not see that in fullness, as the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 2.8. And we ought not to be surprised when, when the truth offends people. Jesus said, when they persecute you, keep in mind that they persecuted, so they persecuted the prophets before you. Matthew 5, verse 11. We ought not to be surprised by that. Joseph's brothers hated him for his dreams and for his words. But what do we, what do we learn about the fact that when speaking truth, we, might, we will be persecuted? Listen to what it says in John chapter 15. John chapter 15 and verses 18 and 19. If the, Jesus speaking to his disciples, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. When we speak to people about what is to come, they say, we don't want to hear about that. We don't want to hear about judgment. We don't want to hear about having to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that passage isn't meant to make us proud. We recognize that salvation is of the Lord. It's grace and mercy that is at the root of it. We're no better than anyone else. But when the Lord does call us out, He calls us to speak the truth. Remember that He calls us out in this time and in this place to be His witnesses. You're not to be in the world Rather, you're to be in the world, but not to follow the ways of the world. You must love those in the world and call them out of allegiance with the spirit of this age to follow Christ the Lord. Let me say a bit more about that Lord, the lordship of, of Jesus Christ. This, this, this kind of developed in my mind because of something I heard this week, and I want to I bring this this morning as we consider um, what God's word has to say to us. There's a, there's a call when we come to Christ to recognize that he is Savior and Lord. Now, there are those who are fine with Jesus being Savior. Oh, Jesus is a Savior? Okay. I don't know that I need him, but if he's a Savior, then great. I'm all set. But there is also the working of the Spirit does this. There's also that call to, to proclaim him as Lord. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 12, 3, that the Spirit of the Lord, it's only by the Spirit of the Lord that one is able to say, Christ is Lord. We confess Christ, and as such, we are to confess Him as Lord. Sin must be put to death. We must turn from wickedness. That's not popular. This Jesus is too, too bossy, too much of a meddler. The world says today, we want the Jesus who says, you're, you're, you're saved. Whatever you've done, just keep doing what you're doing. But Scripture says that, no, we are then to die to ourselves, to live for the Lord, that Christ came to die to provide sacrifice for sin, and he shows us the way of life before the Lord, how the good path is set before us and how we are to turn away from the lies of sin and Satan. Today, we have confusion in the church. I heard it said this way this week. I was listening to a podcast, and the, the speaker said, the missiology of the church, of many churches, downplays their theology. And then he went on to say, the point is this, that the missiology of getting people into the church then uh, keeps them from pronouncing the whole counsel of God because there are certain parts that would, would, would keep people from coming in. He says, we don't want to do that. We want to get them in, and, and then we want to just... We want to just not say those things that might get them to, to be offended. 
Well, he put it this way, the focus, this, this one pastor put it this way, we are to find the, the quiet middle and uh, we're apparently supposed to remain silent in parts of the Bible that, that we know the people will find offensive. But God's will for his people is this, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ that you might be saved and further that you would be sanctified. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 3. That you would turn from sin. That you would turn to the right. And and that's the call that has to come out. When we are connected to Christ, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we are those who are going to live holy lives. We're wholly uncomfortable with sin when the Spirit of God is in us. Recently, the call has gone out from one influential preacher to be silent on the abrasive topics in culture. He believes that the church then will grow and, and, and then society, by coming in through the doors, will, will want to become better. Well, you can imagine what those abrasive topics are. The big one right now is anthropology. What does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be, to be man? Well, this is a further attack on Scripture. It's going right to the origins, right to the book of Genesis, beginnings, foundations. And this pastor leading the charge. I was going to mention his name this morning, but I, I won't. I, I'll simply say this. I'll simply give you the background. He started a church back in the mid-90s that he said would be different and would reach people that other churches didn't reach. Well, the problem is as the church has moved along, it's gotten further and further and further away from the Word of God. He's uh, come to a place now in the church where and back in 2018, he's announced that the church must unhitch from the Old Testament. Perhaps some of you know who I'm speaking of and the, the, the phrase, unhitch from the Old Testament. I, I don't have time to go into all the particulars, but he argued that the apostles in Acts saw the Old Testament as a hindrance to Gentile believers. So he said there were certain things that they didn't have to, to do to join the church. And, they, and he said, and there further, there's a lot more in the Old Testament that we don't need to... to worry ourselves about. In fact, it just, it just becomes, it adds an offense to, 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 to the gospel and keeps people from coming to church. And he argues the one thing the church needs is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, no Christian's going to argue about that, I hope. That, that is indeed central. There, that, that cannot be ignored. Resurrection of Lord Jesus Christ is central to our faith. But his words, this pastor's words about the Old Testament are simply wrong. Old Testament is full of teaching that helps us better understand who Christ is. If we unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament, we unhitch ourselves from much of what God wants to teach us concerning Christ and the way we are to live. What did we see in the Old What do we see in the Old Testament? But God's people living among the nations. How are they to live? Different, distinct, holy lives, according to God's commands, which He has set out for us in God's Word very clearly. We're not to say, well, yeah, let's just not talk about that anymore. Let's just, let's just leave that alone. This pastor argued that the apostles, in declaring that Gentiles did not need to follow Old Testament laws, that, that, 
that the, what that meant was we don't have to use the Old Testament. Well, well, it's true that we don't need to submit to those ceremonial laws of the Old Testament because Christ fulfilled them. It's wrong to say that the Old Testament now is, is no longer needful. As I said already, it, it points to Christ. It shows us what his coming fulfilled and, and what his life uh, uh, accomplished and how he brings us to God by living a holy life. And now he calls us to follow after him. Where does this interpretation come from? Well, there's a conference coming up at that particular church that is teaching on how parents of LGBTQ plus children uh, can relate to their children without bringing up the particulars of sexuality. And so he sees this as a means of enlightening and helping and, and, and encouraging these parents to, to parent their children. And, and, and certainly we are all in favor of parents parenting their children and doing so in love. But that means bringing the truth to bear and teaching what the Word of God says and what it, how it calls all of us, not just those in this particular issue, but all of us in all of the issues. Envy. Right? As we've, we've seen. All of these issues. To turn from that. To repent of that. To turn to Christ. Well, he wants to be, he wants to find the quiet middle about the commands in the Old Testament. In other words, not to talk on them. Particularly the commands about how humanity is created, male and female. Teaching of the Bible that must be rightly understood that the church can't be silent about this. This pastor seems to think that if the church stops talking about this, the church will grow and again, the culture will be interested in the church and become better. We hear people saying today, well, there you go again. Church is getting involved in politics, wanting to to talk against uh, uh, the the, the laws of the land regarding marriage and the laws of the land moving toward uh, 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 assignment surgeries and all this other stuff. Well, there is something to be said for that. The church is political in this sense that we're in a polis, we're in a city, and God has said how the city is to operate. He says, this is how I have made you to live in harmony with one another that you might walk together in newness of life, in, in, a, in a way that perpetuates the human race, that ri- raises people up, the next generations up, to, to glorify me. And then there are ways in which not, in, in ways not to do that. If you don't do this, then, then yeah, the, the culture will break down. So in that sense, the church is interested in, in polis, in city, in, in community. Because Scripture is. God is interested in how humanity is brought together and how humanity grows and how humanity is uh, to worship and who we are to worship. To compromise, to be silent on certain parts of the Bible won't help won't help us grow as a civilization. It will rather lead us to further compromise in our living and to turn away from 
the right path. We need the word of God to be that light, to be that lamp for our feet. The church must faithfully teach the whole counsel of God to give definition to sin, to show the way out and the way of life to Christ because the society does not do that. And this pastor makes a very revealing comment when he says, if your theology gets in the way of ministry, like if there's somebody you can't minister to because of your theology, you have the wrong theology. That statement just begs for clarification. What does that even mean? If your theology gets in the way of talking to people, you have the wrong theology. What's the starting point? If it means, and I don't know how it can't mean, that some parts of the Bible must not be talked about, then we need to disagree because all Scripture is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. All of it. Even the parts that make us uncomfortable to approach someone and, or, 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 or to receive the question of someone because we know what, if we have, give the truthful response, what the response will be. But we have to bring the word. We, we minister to whomever, as our Savior did, but we cannot be silent about the call to come and die to ourselves when we come to Christ and to, to love God and to obey all of his commands. Well, why is this one instance so serious? Well, because the reality is that this is not just a change in one man, in one church, in one conference. It's the trajectory of the whole of society. We're told that what we can talk about, what we must be silent about, and what we must simply accept in order to avoid attack. Now, you can hear more about this on Al Mohler's podcast if you want to Listen to the one from this past Wednesday. I'll leave it there. But how does this relate to Joseph? Well, here's the question. Should Joseph have remained silent about what he saw of what was coming? Again, we, we said we don't know what Joseph's feeling was. Maybe he didn't understand what a, what a response it would bring from his brothers. But he probably had some inkling that this, was, that this may not go over so well. And yet, James Boyce says he, he believes that he, was, he felt compelled because this was revelation from God. And I, I, I agree with that. I think he's right to say that Joseph had a sense that, that this was of God and needed to be told, needed to be proclaimed. He couldn't be silent. Now, it is true we must take into consideration our context when we're talking with others. But as we move along in discipleship, We don't remain silent on certain parts of the Bible. Why? Because the world thinks that everything's just, things are are falling apart. We we, we see that as it it pertains to Scripture. We see Scripture as the path and we see where the world is going versus what the Scripture says. And and we see that it's falling apart. And they think it's all going to continue just as it has. 2 Peter chapter uh, 3 tells us that. They, They think, you dreamers. Here you are dreaming about the future. Everything's going to continue just as it has. And what does Peter say? Then the flood came. Judgment came. And they who did not listen drowned. And Peter says we must tell the world that judgment is coming. When Christ comes, he will usher in the new heavens and the new earth and Sin will have no place there, and 
unrepentant sinners will be judged eternally. In the midst of this talk of judgment, what we see is God's love. And we could look at many, many different aspects of that, but I want to look at one in particular. God's pursuit of the sinner when he goes out and says, I want you to hear this. I want you to know what's coming. And we see this in the person of Joseph. His father, Jacob, says to him, your brothers are out tending the flock. I want you to go. And what does he say? Here I am. Here I am. We should recognize that formulation. It's used of the servant of God in the Old Testament. It's used of the Lord Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews applies it to the Son of God in Hebrews 10. He came to make peace between God and man, accomplished through his death, payment for sin, but one who also spoke of the truth of the need to repent and believe that we might not perish, that we might not face everlasting condemnation. He's coming again, too. He says, when the Son of Man comes, we are to be ready. And he will show the glory of his kingdom and the full deliverance that he has won to all the world. That's what's coming, and we must tell others about that. Joseph goes to his own brothers, and what do they do when they see him? They conspire to kill him. That has echoes in the Lord Jesus Christ who went to his own and went to the world. And what did they do? They, they conspired against him. Those who were formerly sworn enemies now became allies to do what? To plot to kill the Lord Jesus Christ. And Christ, in love, continued to speak, to lay down his life unto death, to deliver. That is the message that must be proclaimed. We need deliverance as Joseph Revealed in those dreams to his brothers, there is coming a day when you will bow down, when you will bow before me. So the Lord Jesus Christ says there's coming a day when all people, every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, as we saw in Philippians 2 this morning. We need to be ready for that, that we would bow with joy and not as the unbeliever in fear and receiving ultimate Punishment. God declares that whoever believes in my son will not perish, but will be delivered. That's the truth to live by, the truth to share. Joseph's brothers didn't want to hear it, but we'll see how their hearts were changed as, they, as we follow the scriptures through in this story as, in days to come. But we too need to hear this because we were not born With love for God, we're conceived in sin. Those who need God's gracious work in our hearts that we might be changed. That we would see in the Lord Jesus Christ our salvation, wisdom from God, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. John warns in 1 John chapter 3, Be not like Cain who was evil and murdered his brother. He goes on to say in chapter 4, I want us to hear these words. As I mentioned at the outset, what does it mean to to be transformed? Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. 
That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That's the call. There are those yet to be brought in. There is a world in which we live which is increasingly hostile to the truth. And yet we know that We must move on. The love of Christ compels us, Paul says it that way, and it should compel us too, that though God's word offends, we ought not to be ashamed to proclaim it, for it also grants life. It works faith by the power of the Holy Spirit. We want to press on with the truth, for there is no life apart from Christ. Every person is entitled to hear that, and God can break the hardest of hearts. And we want to pray that he will do that. Let's do that now. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, as we see how the truth can be so offensive, even to those close to us, we pray that you would break hard hearts to see in the gospel, to see in Jesus Christ your answer to the judgment to come and your power to say no to sin now and to know joy and to know peace in this day. Lord, grant us courage. Let us see the power of the gospel as we talk to others and see eyes opened, ears unstopped, and lives transformed all to your glory, we pray. Amen.